One of the many legacies from the COVID outbreak is that it made the workforce crisis much worse. Today, we'll discuss the many factors contributing to this crisis and identify steps organizations can take to remedy it. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tomas Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient and Practicing Internist. And joining me is a leading expert in workforce issues, Eric Birch, RN. Eric, welcome back to Modern Practice. Thank you, Tom. I'm glad to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and your current position at Vizient? Sure. So I'm a registered nurse. I've been in practice as a registered nurse for about 30 years. Most of my career transitioned into leadership roles, both chief nurse, chief operating officer of mostly academic medical centers. I've been with Vizient for about 11 years, and I currently am the leader of the operations and workforce team. So you said you started 30 years ago. So obviously you, you were 12 years old when you started, Eric? Yeah, 12 years old, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so to begin, tell us what's happened to healthcare workforce in the past decade. And especially when you consider how the pandemic affected it severely. This is a huge issue going on in our country. I think the pandemic exacerbated a problem that was already in the works or we were already experiencing. And a lot of people will say the pandemic was a catalyst to really drive a lot of significant movement in the direction we thought workforce was going. I think, first of all, we already knew that we were going to be facing shortages with a lot of our clinical employees, such as physicians and nurses. Um, We knew that was coming. I think the other thing is we have an aging population. So more people are moving into that 65 or older. So as we think about that, so is our workforce. So we have people really looking at retiring. And then we have an increased number of people consuming healthcare. So it's kind of a a vicious circle from an ecosystem of healthcare and workforce. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. What do you think is driving the crisis? So I think it's kind of multi-pronged. One, it's simply there is a shortage of people in the workforce. I think as we think about the workforce in general, not just from a healthcare lens, there's been a lot of competition amongst those that are not clinical, and that really affects the healthcare environment as well. So if you think about it, people have the opportunity to go to other industries and get retirement benefits or get paid time off. And so other industries have really made it more attractive for people that we thought for a long time in certain communities, the hospital was the best place to go so you could actually get retirement or get benefits and not have to have a a degree or an advanced degree. So that was part of it. I think the other piece is we knew there was a shortage of providers and clinicians. And we can't ignore the fact that the pandemic really shed some light on some significant issues in healthcare, one being the amount of burnout that our healthcare providers really are under. And part of that is work conditions. We see people at their best and at their worst. I think the other thing is just that shortage kind of compounds that issue in the fact that you are not necessarily working with a full team. You're taking on heavier workloads. And then the pandemic really brought a lot of bad behavior from people in general. And so the environment in healthcare at the bedside became unsafe at times. And so we really struggled to ensure the safety of our teams, provide them the equipment they needed and the PPE they needed to protect them from COVID. And then we ended up with shortages that were related to one, burnout, Two, people decided to go ahead and retire out of their roles. And three, it became really lucrative to actually move into contract labor for a while. So people did jump because the money was just something they couldn't overlook. Yeah, particularly all the areas you've mentioned resonate with me, what I've seen around the country as well. And what I also found, Eric, is a pushback from many leaders wanting to go back to what the traditional models were. In fact, 
we at Vizient, when we were trying to say is that we need to look at a new model, were quite frankly angry when I was giving that kind of communication. And to this day, I still get some pushback. So how could changes from the traditional model of care and the traditional roles help alleviate this crisis? Yeah, I think it's multifactorial. One being, hey, we've always done it this way. So we have some of that resistance to change. I think the other piece is somewhat legislative or regulatory where certain different roles have a top of license that they should operate under different states have different pieces. If you look at APPs specifically, some of them have a broader scope in some locations than others. I think some of the other things to think about is, as we look at what we have people doing to care for patients, some things are very administratively heavy, and some of them are really focused on the clinical care that is needed. And what we find is a lot of our clinicians end up with a huge amount of administrative burden and things like that, that we're expecting them to do. And what that does is take them away from the time they could actually spend with the patient, whether it be a physician, a nurse, or some other allied health professional, we get them bogged down in a lot of that stuff. So as you're thinking about models of care, I think we want to immediately go to, hey, we need to bring in more APPs, or let's bring LPNs back into the nursing units. But some things we need to think about is, what do we have our clinicians doing? And are there ways that we can leverage technology or unlicensed assistive personnel to really give them the opportunity to spend more time with the patients and deliver the care differently? You mentioned technology. You keep on hearing words, catchphrases like artificial intelligence is a way of helping with staffing, but how can technology really play a factor in this? So I think organizations really are trying to see how they can leverage different technology. And so you're right, you hear AI, it's a very common nomenclature out there. But what does AI mean? Is it leveraging data so you have machine learning that can help you predict patient schedules or staff schedules? Is it a chat to text function where physicians and nurses can actually verbally say what they want and it gets dictated into the chart? Is it kiosks where our self-serve so that patients come in and they can answer a few questions on a kiosk machine and it gets them what they need to get into the system themselves to access care? The other component to this is we hear a lot about virtual. So as we think about that, organizations are exploring, hey, could we bring in a virtual nurse that could improve the care or extend the care or make the care better? So as you think about that, there's a lot of different elements of technology. And I think organizations are really trying to explore that. I think the challenge, and it's not necessarily that people are unwilling to adopt technology, it's really trying to understand what's the benefit of the technology, how do I start, where do I deploy it, and what's the strategy around that. And so I think you will continue to see a lot of great technology roll out and be leveraged, but some things people should think about when it comes to technology is, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to improve care? Am I trying to replace staff with technology? Am I looking to augment a certain function within the workforce? So as you think about that, what we found with people that are adopting the virtual nursing program, the impact isn't so much on an ROI. You can do the care with virtual, and so you'll need less staff. We're really seeing the benefits around if you adopt a virtual care program, we're seeing it. it's easier for new grads because they actually have a mentor through the virtual platform. And so satisfaction for your new grads and retention really is improved. We see that having a nurse virtual who's always at the bedside actually improves outcomes as it relates to recognition of patient deterioration, helping with documentation, providing education to patients. And so the benefit of what you're doing with technology really needs to be thought through. So there's a lot of ways that it can enhance care, improve care. 
and really impact both patient satisfaction and nurse satisfaction. But we really haven't seen yet where it actually begins to replace or give you the ability to expand your nursing workforce based on the virtual pieces. When you and I first started out in our careers, because I started when I was 12 years old also, (laughs) was that you usually stayed with the system for sometimes even decades. And technically, I still practice in the same system that I've been since 1997. But you don't see that. You see turnover being on average less than two years for physicians, same thing occurring for nursing. So dealing with the challenges of workforce, describe strategies organizations can use for recruitment and in many cases, just as important, retention. Absolutely. We really need to consider the generational makeup of our employee base. And you're right. People in our generation, we got with one employer and we stayed there until we retired. But we're seeing a lot of movement and people expecting different things from their place of work. And so where we knew we were going to probably work weekends, nights, holidays, that was just what we did in healthcare. People are really, I think... Younger generations are really looking for a work-life balance that we just uh, assumed that was our part of our duty as a healthcare professional. I don't think they're less engaged in providing healthcare or being a physician or a nurse or an allied professional. I think what they're looking for is a good work-life balance. If we think about what's going on with the aging workforce and then the generations that are replacing the workforce, there is a disconnect. There were a lot of baby boomers out there, right? And so we've got to really consider that. I was just looking at some numbers, and a few years ago, the average age of a nurse was 46. I just read another report. It's now 52, which is my age, and I'm like, oh, so I'm right there with the average age of a nurse. But if you think about that, we really need to be understanding from a recruitment and retention standpoint is how do you attract people into a profession that does ask a lot from them? So are we more flexible with our staffing? Are we able to offer different shifts that can accommodate different lifestyles? Instead of just doing three twelves, is there a way to break up your shift so you're doing a four-hour shift here and there in order to go see your kid's soccer game or come in later so you can get your kid to school? So looking at flexibility of scheduling is really important. I think the other piece to this is really begin understanding and listening to your employees. I will always say that culture really trumps strategy from that standpoint. And so it's so important with the changes in workforce, the challenges we already have in workforce, to really focus on a culture of retention. And to do that really starts at the bedside leadership all the way up. And so it's really building communication, listening to what your employees need, making sure you're providing resources that can really help them, whether that's through employee assistive programs, daycare for young families. And so it's really thinking through what your workforce would need, what they're wanting, and be open to listening to them and really making sure that communication channel is open. You brought up the importance of leadership in this, and you also brought up the importance of listening. But what are other ways that leadership can play a role in in retention of these employees? So, Tom, I think it requires multiple ways of creating that communication with your employees. And so whether that's through forums or actually getting out on those units and rounding, having those conversations with your employees where they're doing their work to truly understand, one, their work condition, two, create a mechanism that opens them up to be honest about communication and really showing that you are just as concerned about their work and their work environment as you are with anything else that's going on in the hospital. I think leaders that fail to do that 
really don't get the credibility or the insight that really could provide them the right information they need to make changes or think through different strategies from a retention standpoint. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that when you deal with most clinicians, what we do has a emotional component to it and we understand rounding and that's just part of what we do. And I want to preface how it's important as a leader that you just go out to the floors or to the clinics, if you will, and speak to people. But using Steve Coveney's book, which I tend to mention a lot in this podcast, The Speed to Trust, there needs to be the three C's, the competency, the consistency, and the character. Any flaw in any of the three, then you lose trust. And to gain trust or that emotional component is being out there, going out there consistently and not having an answer is fine. If they're providing feedback and they're not getting the answer or you don't have one yet, at least saying, look, I don't have an answer now, but we're working on it and I hope to get it back by X amount of time. And just being that transparent can make a world of a difference. I couldn't agree with you more. Eric, great discussion. And I appreciate you joining us. And on our next episode, we'll continue with next steps we can take to remedy these challenges. And to our listeners, you can contact Eric at his email address in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me in our email, modernpracticepodcast at visionink.com. We've also posted a link in our resource section for you. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. And now, I'm Dr. Tomas Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.